Welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Waller. Here, we have conversations about cultural studies, the arts, and writing. If you want to sign up to my Substack newsletter for free, just click on the link in this homepage. Today on the Matterhorn, I'm speaking with Tom Fish, who writes the Substack publication called Not That You Asked, a travel diary about London and afar. In his words, think less navel-gazing and more awkward urinal encounters. We'll be talking about travel writing to kick off our summer travel series. Tom lives in London and spends most of his time in parks, restaurants, and the tube. I'd like to ask him more about these tube experiences in a moment. Um, This past December, I shared one of Tom's articles that you may have read on the Matterhorn about a cool London bookshop as a guest post. His focus on international culture of the everyday and books, in this case, really connected with me in terms of what we're looking at here on the Matterhorn. He takes us to other eclectic experiences, such as encountering Berlin's currywurst, a pork sausage whose relationship with pig is as passing and brief as a snog in a nightclub, as he says, discovering a dolphin called fungi, I hope that I'm saying that right, in the small town of Dingle, Ireland, um, chatting with a pizzeria owner in Ischia about the noise of Naples and much more than that. So welcome to the show, Tom, and thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So why don't we just start with um, what sparked you writing this, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a travel blog exactly, but this online publication, not that you asked. Um, so I've always been, I've always written things, um, but I haven't always been that great at sort of sharing it. And it's always, it has been the goal to always like be a writer, I guess. So mm-hmm. um, I've written previous blogs, like on WordPress and things like that before. Um, and then just found out about Substack really and I like that appeal to the model just where you can like you know get subscribers you don't have to you can do less promo of that and things like that Um, and travel is basically the thing that I like writing about the most and reading about the most so it was a case of sort of if I'm going to start putting my writing out into the world again I'll just pick the thing that I like reading the most which is sort of travel stories so that was sort of what prompted the what the actual theme of the blog was um, and yeah, in terms of the actual where it was, it was just that, like that I really liked Substack's model of being a newsletter and it sends it to all the people they want to receive it. And I've mm-hmm. had previous blogs and friends have been like, you have to tell me every time you post something and oh. like, you should just, you should just get a newsletter one. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. But, I, but then, yeah, I decided on travel because that's the, just the thing I like reading and writing about the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean, the network with Substack makes it a lot easier. I agree. Just the newsletter quality with the emails, but also for people who are on the app or the new newish notes section, you can really connect with other writers too, which I'm finding pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it feels much more like a community, I think, than any mm-hmm. of the other platforms I've used. And I'm not good at graphics or design. So when they were like, Wait, you can make it as simple as you like, and they do all of that bit, it's great. And yeah, I agree. I think it's the first sort of platform I've used where you actually can meet and talk to other writers yeah um, do things like this I guess which I didn't ha- consider hadn't considered that as a possibility before I'd started doing on Substack yeah that's great it's great to connect um and I guess I mean you, you're talking about you know moving toward travel writing with your work now what does travel writing mean to you because we've seen you know you can see so many different kinds um obviously there's a kind that's like this is where you should go here are the restaurants and yours is very much not like that although I would say you do have recommendations in your writing so how would you say that your writing fits into the more 
the bigger genre, I guess. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it it can mean different things. And you can, I think people can look for different things in it. So I think that probably the more commercial and successful side of the genre is the one where it's like tips and like things to do when you go to places like it's what everyone Googles when you're going to the place is like what to do. And it's all of the listicles of like the best things that you can do in the place. Um, I, I find that really useful and I do use that a lot for when I'm traveling. Um, but the thing that I like, the the sort of travel writing that I like reading and um, writing the most is more of the like narrative stories of like experiences and, and about places and sort of being, being able to be like transported into a place or an experience that a person is having. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I prefer that one more and, I think I see it a bit less on Substack. I think that on Substack, mm-hmm. the more travel-focused newsletters do tend to be more tips-based, although there are mm-hmm. some that are not the case. So I like Samantha Childress's Cairo Dispatch is like quite narrative-focused, and that's really good. Okay. Um, Brent and Michael are going places. Is Also, they mix both. I think they do have one where they have like travel hacks and travel tips, but they also have more like narrative experiences. But I do think it's slightly less common um, I guess because mm-hmm. when someone says a travel newsletter, you think it might be more of the tips side. But mm-hmm. yeah, I like giving them, but I do tend to try and hide them in the the stories a bit more than I guess just more less doing a like list of the places that you should go. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of more embedded in the experience, I guess. Yeah, we can. I don't know those newsletters. We can add links um, to this episode. Yeah, they're really well. good. I, re- yeah. I recommend both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll get those from you um, later on. But yeah, I mean, just reading your work, it it seems like you know what you talk about is more kind of culture of the everyday, like these sort of smaller, smaller is maybe not the right word, but encounters with food and with people. It's not always like the big tourist attractions. Um, So is that generally how you travel or are these just the moments that you like to capture in your writing? I think I do tend to go by the rule. This is um, Bill Bryson, the travel writer, well, travel history, science writer, writer of everything basically now. But when he started out, he was a travel writer and he um, said in an interview once, like, no one wants to read about your holiday snapshots. So, like, there's no point doing a sort of, like, going to Paris and just talking about the Eiffel Tower in the Mm -hmm. sense that, like, almost everyone who's been there will talk about the Eiffel Tower. So everyone sort of read it or heard it a million times. So there is a conscious decision that unless I think I've got something to say about something reasonably famous that won't have already been said, or at least not said as much, then I probably will avoid it because Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be that interesting to read about my experience going up the Eiffel Tower um, Mm -hmm. because either a lot of people have experienced it or just they can sort of know what that would be like from other people. Um, But it is also because the other parts of travel writing interest me more. Yeah, the encounters Mm -hmm. with people the sort of weird or random elements of travel or the sort of weird and quirky like parts of travel interest me a lot more than than I guess yeah those big sites because they're they're sort of usually quite predictable um and you sort of know what you're going to get but yeah I think I think also because of the tone that I try and take which is always to be like an entertaining one and like quite generally try and like make it a bit Mm -hmm. funny it's much easier to do that around like the experiences you have or like the random encounters because they're more often more unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen and that's where something yeah a bit more odd and more lends itself to to something that someone could read that they won't have read before rather than talking Mm -hmm. about I don't know yeah queuing for the Louvre or something like that that's great yeah and so it's 
I mean, in a way it's, it's almost less about recreating the experience. You know, if you're talking about, you know, you mentioned the Eiffel tower, obviously so iconic and someone might read about that and then go and try to have the same experience, but you're really giving them something that, you know, you can't recreate. Maybe you could see elements of the culture that you're, you're talking about, but everyone's going to have their own individual experience. And I, I think that gives it like a really interesting feel. So I really enjoy that about it. But um, how did you start? How did you start traveling? Actually, was that something you did as a kid, or you started to do it later on? We did. We did go on like family holidays, um, mm-hmm. and we were lucky enough to go to like France and Spain. It was more so of the sort of like places that were more visited. It was less of the sort of. So I guess like in Spain, it was sort of the south coast, which is quite common around like English travelers and things like that. As a young person, though, I was quite a nervous traveler, and I like particularly in the first few trips that I did either like alone or with friends or um, even school trips. I was quite actually nervous and sort of homesick traveler. But then when I started doing it, the more I did it, the more I sort of enjoyed it. And so when I got to sort of my late teens, early 20s, I was like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy this. And um, yeah, so I've traveled pretty consistently since then, pandemic excluding for obvious reasons. But like any time that we can get I can get off, I'm always like planning to go somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, but interestingly yeah when when I first started traveling I was a very nervous and homesick traveler so I didn't like it then which but, you said, but that was it, when you were a kid you're saying you you warmed up to it I by the time even, you were a teenager <laughs> even when I was like I guess yeah 18 19 20 though even yeah. when you're going on those first trips there was always like an undercurrent of like anxiety I think I was right. naturally quite anxious about something happening whereas I'm much more of a like I, maybe it's because I write about it as well like something if something goes wrong I'm like well this this might work well in the blog yeah so, it makes it more um, interesting yeah it makes it more interesting it makes it more unpredictable you don't know what's going to happen but also mm-hmm. sometimes those like when things you think are going wrong can actually work out really well in the end so it's become a lot more like easy going with like if it doesn't completely go to plan you don't know what's going to happen as a result of that so yeah definitely no, that makes sense And I think it can be, you know, when you first encounter that, and especially if you're traveling where there's a different language, um, of course, there's a lot more English around the world now, um, but still it can be really disorienting. And, you know, somebody who grew up in the U.S., um, I think as a kid, the only time I went somewhere um, that really felt like such a different, of course, there's different cultures around the U.S., but um, with a different language and everything um, is in Quebec and it still wasn't that, it didn't feel that far from home. Maybe geographically, it was still a bit far from home. So maybe it's a different experience, like growing up in Europe or other places where you might visit different countries or Americans who do that. Um, But I could see how as a kid, especially, it might be, you know, first a little bit scary, and then it might kind of open your, you know, your eyes to it. Because it seems like now you, you travel quite a bit. I mean, why do you travel now? Is it for new experiences? Is it to see friends? Um, just to get away from London? What are the reasons that motivate you? I think a bit of probably all of the above. I think it mm-hmm. is to, mainly for new experiences, to see new places. Um, and just because I like doing it. I like I like the aspect of travel that's also just traveling around as well and like being mm-hmm. on the move. Um, I I think that, yeah, I've always enjoyed going and exploring lots of new places. Okay um so that's um that was always a big motivator see friends is sometimes the the motivation as well yeah or or family um so that's I I find that almost like a helpful motivator in the sense that you then get to do some traveling and you're sort of seeing some friends or family which is always nice um but yeah it's to just see new places and then I guess since I've had the blog it has the side effect of then 
Mm-hmm. I have a travel blog, so if you do travel, you tend to have more st- things to write about there. So yeah, yeah, and I think I don't know if you feel the same way, but I find when I write about something during my travel experiences um, in a different way than than you do, but um, it kind of enhances the experience. I mean, it makes a, a memory that really sticks with me. I kind of see something different in it than maybe I had originally. I don't know if you feel that way as well. Yeah, I think I think I also make a richer experience in the sense that when I'm traveling I sort of thinking about how I would describe this to I guess not just friends but also in mm-hmm. in writing then and like how I would put that place across to someone that's um, great I recently was in like Montenegro and Croatia which Croatia is quite visited um, particularly from the UK but Montenegro less so and but that has such a really interesting history and I was like as I was learning mm-hmm. it I was like I don't know how I would describe that and that made it interesting because you're like well Mm. how would I actually then put what the Mm -hmm. sense of place is across and yeah I think what I find the most tricky but also the most rewarding if you do it but if you manage to do it quite well is like trying to get what the spirit of being in a place feels like I find like retelling an experience that happens to be quite easy because it's just recalling Mm. the things that happened and you try and do it in a way that would be entertaining but like actually trying to grab grab what the spirit of a place is to be like in Mm -hmm. I think is the one that I find hardest but I like doing the most when you've actually done it and you've been like okay that like actually does grab it Mm. how I would want how I saw it yeah that's really fascinating what what are some of your favorite um or most memorable travel experiences favorite and most memorable probably don't go together yeah maybe okay maybe not especially based on the theme of your newsletter yeah well some of them do but I guess yeah most memorable I think the one where where I started to realize that I really liked traveling around I've I've been looking after interrail around Italy a couple of times and the first time was when I was like 18 it was with a group of friends Mm -hmm. and it's memorable in the sense that we were completely clueless like we we came out of well, the first stop was Milan and on the first morning after we'd arrived there we went straight up to the uh, the square where the cathedral is and yeah. the, the classic like hawkers put the bracelets around your wrists and things like that and oh, yeah. we're all like obviously like two of us gave them money because you didn't know your mentor actually you can just be like no I don't want the bracelet right um so there's there's those things where like that trip sort of started to cement my liking of it but then when I did that again when I was like 22 did it on my own I, I didn't know loads more but you knew a little bit more and like a bit more worldly wise so they were start to be the ones where I was like oh no I really like doing this um I also had the like this is very good look the the, the sort of most memorable one in the sense that it stuck with me for so long is we had a our school did a trip to like Mexico over one of the summers where we were doing like conservation things a conservation oh, yeah. work in like the jungle or the beach and things like that and just that one was so memorable for being completely out of our comfort zone like we were all 17 18 year old like school children essentially um and dropped in like the middle of this rainforest and that like that sort of at the time I don't think I massively appreciated a feeling so out of my depth but then when I look back at it I'm like that was really cool that we were just able to yeah. be in an experience and encounter that was like nothing like we've experienced before um that's amazing so, yeah I think they're the ones I like the most where you can actually mm-hmm. think like oh this is not similar to where I'm mm-hmm. from or all my general day-to-day experience I like those the most I think mm-hmm. yeah and you, and you mentioned one of those trips you you did um alone what do you think 
is the difference between traveling with people and traveling on your own. Do you have a different experience when you do it that way? Yeah, I think so. I traveled alone a lot more before I was with my girlfriend. We uh, that before that I traveled mainly alone because I do enjoy doing it and I think I think because I know I'm going to write about it as well because I have always written about them whether I've then posted them or not before I had um my Substack. That I like the traveling alone that you have that sort of freedom to do what you want but also just I guess the if your plans change if you or if you want the plans to change you just change the plans or you know, you can go along with, if something is going in a direction you didn't expect, you can just go along with it easily enough. Yeah. Um, but then I do prefer traveling with my girlfriend. It's always, it's always really good fun. We we are very well complimented in that she is a very good, like, researcher of the trips. And like, I am like one of those, I, pro I probably need to get better at this, but as a writer, I'm not someone who likes the research side of it. Like, I'd much yeah. rather just be have all the information and then just write it down. Mm. Um, so that's always really fun because we have like really good experiences like really fun experiences together in places as well and that's always like that brings a place out more I think than when you're on your own because you're there having an experience with a person as well mm. um, it sounds like a really good balance between the two of you because I'm I'm a bit more like you as well where I just want to kind of have these encounters and it'll just happen to me but actually you need to search for it a little bit as well you know unless unless you've got like a year to explore a place right um yeah, if you're trying think, to pack it into a few days yeah I think when I'm traveling alone I am guilty of actually not necessarily like I sometimes need a bit of a push to like yeah. go into the experience or do something or just like go up to the group of people or whatever so mm -hmm. yeah I think that does work really well and I think it having the substat makes me do that a bit more as well where it's like okay like if you push yourself into that something something weird might happen and yeah um, that's cool yeah so like that, that. that has definitely helps with with how I travel as well. It's like being mm -hmm. trying to be quite active because mm. I don't I do read a lot of travel books as well. And I the ones I find the most tricky to get through are the dense like just descriptions of almost you can tell the person was walked through the city, didn't almost didn't interact with it, just walked through it and just described <laughs> everything, which is interesting yeah. to a point. But after a while, you're like, oh, if you could talk to someone or do something, that would be great. Right, right. Yeah, more more culture, more more connection with people as mm. well sounds good. And is yeah. that kind of how you do London as well? I mean, you live in London, which is such a multicultural place, has so much culture of its own, um, even on the tube, I guess. So tell me, what what happens as you spend all this time on the tube, as you say? Is it just because you're stuck there or is it because you're trying to get to new places and discover um what is yeah, traveling both, like both. in your own city yeah <laughs> both I I'm I'm a controversial Londoner and I think this is probably because I'm not from London originally okay. that I think the tube is generally amazing because it you can get anywhere incredibly quickly well mm -hmm. most of the time um and there's a train like all the time so and I think when That's you're great. from like the north as I'm from there are no trains so <laughs> um yeah that but it's I think it's a, a weird adjustment for anyone who comes even to visit London, I think, is that there is usually an hour or two of your day that you are spending on the tube or, or on public transport yeah, in London because everywhere yeah. is so far away. Um, so that that's, that's a weird adjustment. Like I came from a city where it was a walkable city, so you walked everywhere mm -hmm. and the travel time wasn't really a thing because it was going to take you like 20 minutes to walk. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's you you usually leave about an hour from somewhere. So um but then yeah I do do it a lot at the weekends too to have like new experiences see different parts of London 
I think when I before I moved here I really underestimated just how big it is and just how like different all parts of it are because mm-hmm. I have friends who live in different parts and I've been there like twice and I've lived here for four years and wow. so I but I really like that about it that's part of why I like living here because there's bits of London that I know really really well and go to quite a lot but then if you move or if you like decide to go to some other bits for a bit there's there's whole parts of London that I would have no idea where I was if you dropped me there so um yeah I think if per, if if you're a lover of big cities I don't think there's many better than London because of how like spread out it is and how many different mm-hmm. areas there are yeah that's great no I've, I've talked to Londoners who like won't leave their neighborhoods basically they're like I don't want to sit as, as you describe you know they don't want to sit on the tube forever and they're like you know if they're single they're like I'm only going to date people in my neighborhood within like a square kilometer or something like that right so people have their little rules which is funny I'm also from a small I mean I'm from outside Boston um, and similar, like a Boston to New York feeling a lot of my New York friends, um, have a really different relationship with the city, um, than I did growing up. So it's, it's funny because you do seem to really live in it as somebody who's got fresh eyes. You're always discovering the way you talk about it and you're, you're like finding new places all the time. I mean, I guess I've only, I've spent a lot less time in London than you have. I've never lived there. Um, but I do go there frequently um, because of my in-laws who live just outside. And I find also that each time, you know, I might get off of a, a different uh, tube station. And I really enjoy doing that as well. Um, and you just find that you're in this in this new world, which is really cool. And even on the tube itself, you see so many different kinds of people. Like in London, people have like different hair and different fashion. And it's just like a really kind of unusual space to be in it, it's got creative energy everywhere I think um yeah, and I, I can usually, see why a writer would want to live there too yeah yeah usually on the tube I realize I'm about three fashion trends behind where I <laughs> thought I was um yeah I think I really like I think you can definitely tell which bit of so if you spend any time in London as well you can tell where you are mm-hmm. at what's above ground by like who's on it and yeah I think a lot of the a lot of the mis not misconceptions but the ideas of a tube from particularly British people who don't live in London are sort of true yeah. um but also like their reputation that no one says hello which always makes me laugh because there's like nine million people in London so if yeah. we said hello to everyone we'd be forever saying hello it's exhausting um, but yeah I think I do really like um sort of going around and, and discovering the different bits I guess be- partly mm-hmm. because I'm not from here but but also just because that's what I'm naturally like if I like traveling mm-hmm. in general there's a I like that there's whole bits of my city that I haven't like been to mm-hmm. or or I've been to a couple of times and haven't properly explored but mm-hmm. yeah that is definitely a thing there are two kinds of Londoners I think there, there are the ones who like exploring all the different bits and then there are the yeah. ones that try and live and work as close together as possible and tend to not like leaving that general area it is find their a spot. real yeah yeah it is a real thing that like if someone you live in North London and someone you know moves south you're like well this, this friendship's been nice but I'll see mm-hmm. you for our yearly birthday thing um because <laughs> it does funny. yeah it does it is quite far away to be fair but I think it is funny to say to someone who doesn't live in London they're like, that doesn't make any sense they're still in the same place right and you have to sort of say sort of but they are about as far away as Oxford is yeah so. I guess so I guess so it's priorities right as well so yeah. but yeah. I guess I mean this this podcast that we're we're talking now about a month before but it's going to air just at the beginning of summer and the one thing I don't like about the tube is it gets like deathly hot in the summer and I mean I wonder if that you know we're talking about summer travel is that why people like to 
travel in the summer from London. I wonder, it could be part of it. Um, but do you plan to go away this summer or are you going to stick around, do you think? In the summer, it's mm-hmm. like particularly the height of summer. I do quite like being in London still because it's mm-hmm. it's the one time of year where London also has nice weather. Um, yeah. So I, but then I always find that interesting why people equate summer. So at the end of August, I'm going away. So we're going to Spain, we're doing Valencia, um, Barcelona and Madrid, oh, which nice. I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, really interested to go explore those places. But yeah, in the height of summer, I do quite like still being in London because it's, Again, yeah, I mean, July to travel to a lot of the places that you can get to really easily from London, they're also probably hotter and maybe like unbearably hot. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I do find it interesting. I guess a little bit of it's just holidays. It's where everyone has a break, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like the yeah. schools, universities and everything like that. But it is an interesting one because it's not often, I don't think, the best time to travel. And but, you know, I completely agree. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to ask you that specifically to try to like cue you for the answer, but that is... um. That is exactly how I feel about it. Now, I've always kind of had to take my biggest holidays in the summer because I've always had an academic calendar. Um, and now I have a child in school. So, you know, like you say, it just kind of revolves around that summer, which I mean, you know, it's great. Like I like to go to the sea, I like to do these things. But um, I would also prefer to, you know, spend some time when you can like walk around the city more comfortably. Do, you know, now in the summertime, I just feel like, going to the beach which is great but it's not quite the same kind of travel so yeah it's funny I mean I guess there's different reasons for it but there's something maybe to be said too for times when not everyone but maybe a bigger majority are traveling together it's kind of like this big pause and you know also companies kind of go into a slower mode at least in Europe it doesn't really happen in America so much but um and I don't know I think I think there is something good about that kind of like refreshing oneself and I don't know if you see it even when you stay in London in the city is it can you like leave work a little bit earlier grab drinks in the sun or does it not really have that vibe (laughs) yeah London's definitely a different place in the summer um yeah I saw if like I saw a few things on Twitter recently that's so true where like when when the clocks change in the UK and you have the longer daylight hours London just becomes an entirely different place because there's so much more you can do and London has so many parks and like Mm. public places like that that are really nice in the summer Mm. but in the winter for obvious reasons it's just not that great to go to so yeah I definitely it's partly why I like being around here in the summer as well and actually like yeah I do like the what you mentioned about like that generally particularly in European side things things tend to slow down in July Mm -hmm. and August which is quite nice because um yeah everyone sort of agrees that it will take a bit longer to get everything done because some people are on holiday um so that's quite nice but then yeah when you're actually traveling I think for me like spring or autumn are usually the best times like we Mm. when we were just in Croatia we were just out of season um but we were in Dubrovnik and they said that if we'd been here like a month later you'd have to queue to get into the old town but we were like but we're staying in the old town so what what do you mean you have to queue to get into this whole area of the city where like we're staying yeah um so yeah I don't I when we were there and people were talking to us about how it'd be in the summer we both said oh so glad we're not here in the height of summer because it just sounds horrendous you know I was just I was just writing about something like that because I, I was writing about Istria um and which I go to a lot in the north of Croatia and I've never been to Dubrovnik because I always have time to go to Croatia in the summer and yeah I hear how crowded it is I hear how hot it is and then like the flights are never good the rest of the year when I can go on a weekend or something. So 
that's why I've never been. So your little anecdote made me, makes me very clear in my mind that I have to go off season. So it'll happen sometime, but is it worth it Dubrovnik? Is it different yeah. than the rest of Croatia? Would you say? We did, um, in Croatia, we did Dubrovnik, Havar, Split and Zagreb, and they mm-hmm. were all really quite different. So I do think it's worth it. Yeah. But I, d- I wouldn't go in the summer. I don't think yeah. having experienced it in the spring, because we could walk around the city, like there's, there's so many photos and videos we have where we look like the only people there. And oh, that's amazing. So yeah. The weather and the weather is still pretty good, which as much as it's not completely the most important thing, it definitely helps to have good weather. But yeah, I think the one thing I found interesting about Dubrovnik in comparison to the others was it's not many people actually live in that bit of the old town anymore, mm-hmm. um, which makes it look very cool, but also is a bit weird because you mm-hmm. can tell that no one lives there. It's like it's too clean. It's pristine. Mm. Um so that that was a bit weird in comparison to somewhere like Split, where they have the old town, which is there, like the palace, Diocletian's palace, where the Roman emperor used to live. Mm-hmm. People live in the palace because um, it, well, the, what used to be the palace and people live in the old town. And like that for me felt much more alive, but I preferred them for different ways because yeah. you can you can sort you can't sort of have it both ways. I guess Dubrovnik was gorgeous and it's beautiful, and that's why people go. Right. Because it looks perfect, but also no one lives there, which is why it looks perfect. Yeah. Um so no, yeah, sense. I liked I like them both for different ways because of that, because you can get the like I think that's what's quite cool about somewhere like Croatia. There's like different pla- they've done different places different ways, not necessarily deliberately, but mm-hmm. um yeah, you there's quite different experiences depending on where you are. Mm. Yeah, it's such a great country. I mean, even though it was so touristic on the coast in the summer. I just, I love going to Croatia. I think it, it is gorgeous. And I, I've been to Split as well. And I, I agree with what you say. I didn't realize people live in the palace though. That's incredible. I think I might've built that quite a bit too much. Maybe they don't live <laughs> in the actual palace, but it's definitely like in the Don't worry about it. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. We no can one right afterwards. Split. I, yeah. I think I, but it was, re- I thought it was really cool how, how busy and um like, lively their old town was particularly when I'd just been in Dubrovnik where that is the opposite there amazing great so um so yeah so we look forward to to hearing more about your possible summer travels or what happens in London in the summer I guess you don't know I mean what I what I do love about that newsletter that you're working on now is you know like you've said it's it's so the stories are so like specific and unexpected. You're not going to seek them out. So I'm sure, you know, if I asked you, what are you going to write about this summer in your travels? Like, I'm guessing you would have no idea. Is that right? Yeah, I have a rough, I have a rough idea in the sense that, so there'll be a lot of stuff about Croatia and Montenegro okay. and, and London, because that's where I am as well. But I agree that like, I, I sometimes have an idea of before what mm-hmm. I'm going to go and figure out that I'm going to write about. But often something will like come at me that I will not have realized I was going to write about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think like an example of where I plan to when we were, I knew we were going to Kerry in Ireland, mm-hmm. I'd heard the story of Fungi the dolphin. And I was like, well, I definitely need to go and find out what's happening with the dolphin. Um, which for context, for anyone who hasn't read the blog, the dolphin is missing. Um, so this whole town of uh, Dingle is entirely themed around Fungi the dolphin who used to like reside in their bay and no one's seen him for like two years. So it's not looking good for Dingle or Fungi. Um, that so that, yeah, that's an example of one where I'd heard that story. I was like, well, I'm definitely going to go ask about that and like see what's going on. Yeah, um, like a journalistic then... sort of investigation almost. 
<laughs> mystery. Yeah, I, if I can give myself that much credit, which was yeah, just sure. asking a load of locals <laughs> where's fungi and hearing their funny responses. Um, but yeah, the, uh, an example of the other way around, um, mm. I guess, is when I was trying to think of a different example of one that I guess didn't know I was going to come up. Or Naples, I guess, took me by surprise. So I wanted oh, to yeah. go there and write about how the stereotypes aren't, well, the, yeah, the stereotypes aren't true and that it's actually really cool and vibrant. And mm -hmm. I think it probably is those things to some people, but I actually went there and was like, oh no, I actually agree with a lot of the like, it's loud, it's chaos. And I do like an element of chaos, but even for me, yeah. that was um, a bit much. So I guess I hadn't planned on writing the sort of blog that I wrote about, about Naples mm. because it, as a place, took me completely by surprise. And then I was yeah. like, right, well, I do actually have to write this differently to how I thought I was going to. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you have to see for yourself, right? And that's that's kind of cool to come with an idea and then just shift based on whatever your experiences are. So that's great. I'm, I'll make sure to link those um, articles into the podcast and the Substack as well for everyone who's listening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everyone should just subscribe to your newsletter because you've got <laughs> such you. <laughs> great. I, you know, anybody who's who's reading or listening to the Matterhorn is interested in culture, internationalism, writing. So, you know, if you like that stuff and that's what you're here for, then you should check out Tom's work because it's really fun. And it's it's also quite meaningful. It's, it's always really fun and just sort of engaging, but I think there's also a lot of meaning there behind the culture too. So we can learn a lot from you. Oh, so you. yeah, no, th thanks a lot for sharing your ideas about travel writing and some of your experiences. I mean, this has just been really great to learn a lot more behind the publication and get to know you a little bit more. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Great. All right. So if you want to access all of the media for this conversation, you can see the episode description. You can also subscribe for free on Substack to both mine and Tom's publications, The Matterhorn and Not That You Asked. These links are also in the information. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today and a special thanks to my guest, Tom Fish. <laughs>